This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Kia ora family. Um, I just wanted to record this before getting into this episode because um, the first half of the episode I, I talk about the Dawn Raid apologies but the second half I talk about body stuff and body image and um, I share my recent experiences over the years with losing weight and gaining weight and my thoughts associated with that and I don't um, go into details too much but um, I I just wanted to give a trigger warning for those who are on um, their journey with body stuff and eating stuff because I know that it's um, very very hard I just wanted to put a trigger warning out there that I do talk about um, weight gain and weight loss um, I do talk about um, struggling to eat food because of my health condition um, and I do mention I don't mention what weight I was when I was at my tiniest I do not mention the weight that I currently am which I believe is the heaviest that I have been um, but I do say you know I do give a number of how much weight that I, I think I've gained over the past two years. And it's just an assumption because I actually, I yeah, haven't weighed myself, but I just want to put a trigger warning out there um, for everyone before you decide to listen to this episode. Um, but we do talk about body stuff. Um, thank you. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora, alaikum. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, this time round, it's just going to be me, but trust me, we are going to go places today. Um, I feel like this episode's going to be all over the place, but hopefully in a good way. Um, just, yeah, lots of things have been stirring and um, you guys have been getting back to me and giving me feedback and I think that's um, so interesting, but the feedback has prompted even more thoughts. Um, but yes, you know, put me on while you're doing your chores or grab a cup of tea or maybe you're driving somewhere, whatever it is, I'm glad that you're going to be hanging out with me for the next um, 50 minutes or so. Um, and the first thing that I want to talk about for today's episode was the dawn rate apology. So I know I spoke about this a couple of episodes ago when the government you know, issued the statement saying, you know, we will apologize for the dawn raids. And I feel like that was a really big moment because there was a lot of people power behind, behind it, um, calling out the government for an apology and demanding that the government actually do something about it because, you know, it's something that happened in the past. And I'm, I'm saying that with air quotes, because even though the event itself happened in the past, I think the repercussions are still felt to this very day. So even though the event happened in the past, it, it still very much, um, feels alive. And I'm not speaking for myself personally, because I don't fuck up. I'm back to Pacific heritage, but just listening, um, and hearing 
the stories around me you know it's not just something that happened in the past and you know if something is never really acknowledged how can you move on how can you get closure it still, you know, it still very much feels alive. And when I first brought it up, I was saying that uh, apologies are very valuable in the sense that it's an opportunity to acknowledge the wrongs that have been done. And it's also an opportunity to, you know, look forward and talk about the future and think about how to correct things because you can't undo what's happened, but you can most certainly build a future that's better for all and avoids that kind of pain or damage ever happening again um but you know apologies are a first step for that but you need action to to follow up and yesterday the apology happened in Auckland Town Hall I believe and Jacinda took part in a traditional Samoan um reconciliation I would say, yeah, reconciliation, apology ceremony. And it's called an Efuga, and it happens between the, like, victims and the perpetrators' families, and it's it's a way to physically bear the pain that was caused and to move on from that and to leave room for love and for healing. And um, it's very sacred. Um, you have people who have a lot of mana present at ceremonies um, like this. And even though it's originated in the Samoan, or not originated I don't know enough of the history to say that, but it's a Samoan ceremony. But, um, you know, I've done some reading and it seems like there are other variations of it um, from other cultures in the Pacific region. Um, but not only does it just happen in the Pacific, but it's also gone off shores um, and migrated with the with people and so you hear of ceremonies happening in New Zealand and Australia and you know America Canada where people have have moved so you know it's not just a movement of people when migration happens but it's a movement of language and culture and um worldview and traditions and practices so um you know for it to happen as part of the dawn rate apology I think that's um I think that's amazing. Um, but one thing that I kind of wanted to speak to is that people will have different reactions to the apology. Um, you know, just watching the footage from the apology, there were lots of tears. It was very emotional. You could kind of actively begin to see that process of healing. But then, you know, I've again tried to to listen and been kind of sitting in this conversation that has happened now because the apology has happened and there are plenty of people as well who are also unhappy with what happened and don't think the apology is enough and I think that is completely valid if you have been wronged and hurt you completely have the validity sorry to feel exactly how you feel about a situation I think um you know because there have been situations where not just the dawn raid apology but there have been 
there's this attitude I see when um, that surrounds apologies where if it's someone who typically fits that or you know if there is big structures like the government or people who fit in what the majority looks like feels like acts like etc you know there's this attitude that I've seen as especially as someone as a person of color to kind of accept the apology and move on and there is this sense of well you should be grateful that they even apologize like that's such a huge step like you know problem solved basically they definitely I have picked up on that attitude before you know there have been times where someone has been incredibly ignorant or racist to me and you know when it does come to that time of apology especially when I was younger and you know back at that age where I would go to a teacher if something was wrong um rather than go to the person because I just I hate it even now to be honest I hate confrontation but you know I I would go to the teacher as my first port of call and the teacher would be facilitating this apology and there would always be this attitude of well Amal you must accept like how amazing that they said sorry um and I thought, you know, that thing happens when you're young. But as I've become a young adult, I've noticed that energy is still there, but it just manifests in different ways now. And it's not as obvious and all these other sorts of things. And I think if we're talking about apologies and we should acknowledge that people will have different reactions. Not everyone in the Pacifica community is going to react the exact same way to this apology. It's not a homogenous community. Um, there are different values and beliefs and priorities and experiences. And, you know, I'm sure there are people out there who, thought even the way that the ceremony was um facilitated yesterday wasn't you know done correctly um and that is absolutely valid um we shouldn't expect this immense sense of gratitude um from the Pacific community, we shouldn't expect everyone in the Pacific community to think the exact same way or feel the same way about this apology. Um, I think we should let give room and just kind of acknowledge that people will have different reactions to it. And that is so totally valid. Um, but moving on from this apology, I am curious to see what changes will come about. I was listening to an interview with John Campbell and Jacinda Ardern and she was talking about scholarships and she was talking about um, history being taught the right way and, um, you know, having the old history and the full history or something like that. I can't remember her words exactly, but um, – she she did acknowledge that there were some changes to come and I thought that was very interesting and I guess time will tell and we will find, yeah, time will tell and we will find out how these changes, will, what will that actually mean for Pacifica people because 
still very much a community that is misunderstood and marginalized by the by the system you know the system doesn't serve our marginalized communities if you don't like kind of tick the boxes then you know there is struggle there there is a fight there for your voice to be heard so I really hope that this apology is not performative and there will be some changes to come from that but just you know my one of my first thoughts when I was reading and watching the coverage from the apology yesterday was while you know I hope there is room for the Pacifica community to feel however they want and all forms of these feelings will be valid Um, and there shouldn't automatically be this sense of gratitude pushed onto the Pacifica community. Um, But, you know, if the government is really committed to these changes, as they say they are, I think this will be an amazing opportunity for healing and for growth and um, to, you know, create a society where people can find a sense of belonging and people have every opportunity to live life as they want and they please and not to have those barriers up um, because if you are from a marginalized community there are so many barriers and if you do have the privilege um, those barriers are completely invisible to you Um, it's in your your blind spot and I'm not just talking about race here there are so many ways that one can have privilege and and one can't like for example for me and this is when I realized that just because I'm a black Muslim girl living in New Zealand it doesn't mean I'm at the bottom of the heap when it comes to privileges automatically like um I definitely had friends growing up who weren't able to focus on their education as much as they should have because the expectation was they would do the cooking and do the cleaning and help out with all the things around the house. But I'm so grateful for my mother because she was so adamant that all of us kids would have education as our number one priority. She did everything for us like literally everything for us growing up and you know that meant I would have the time to read widely and to to do my homework and then some um but it wasn't the same for all of my girlfriends and that is a privilege like and me not doing housework was an invisible barrier that was completely in my blind spot but you won't know what's in your blind spot until you expose your mind and your heart to how other people live and I say heart because when you talk about this kind of stuff as you do get emotional about it you do and if you didn't I I probably would a suspect that like are you a robot or an android or something um but b like the 
politics is very personal um like you really can't separate the two like how we live is very very political and not even just politics but the way we our social constructs like even the way that we view um gender the way that we view sex like all of these things um drift into how we live our life and these things should make us emotional because it is personal it's not just about facts and it's not just about knowing the history like you you can't be a true ally you can't be committed to change for all of us if you don't get somewhat emotional about it I think feelings should be very much involved in how we view privilege and barriers whether or not they are very obvious or very invisible to you feelings are very much part of it so you know if you don't open your heart and your mind to different experiences how on earth are you ever going to be aware of those barriers that are in your blind spot and you know once you have that opportunity to learn you have that you then have the opportunity to do better once you know better because it's no longer in your blind spot it is something that you can see and if in your privilege you have the power to help bring down that barrier for a group of people or for even just for someone else like just as an individual regardless of the whole whole group then why not right and to have that investment to truly help break down down those barriers your brain and your heart need to be um very much involved uh well i feel like i've really gone on a tangent there um but this apology really is a door that is wide open um, to create change. And I think it's a very big moment, not only for the Pacifica community, but for New Zealand as a whole. We haven't had a lot of conversations where we talk about New Zealand being part of the Pacific. Um, if I'm not the best person to speak um, to the history, but you know, if you listen to the episode with Dr. Emilani Case that I had a couple of weeks ago, she's an amazing wahine who um, teaches Pacific studies at Victoria University, and um, she knows she's opened my eyes personally to a lot that's happened here in New Zealand. Um, but she knows a, she knows a lot but there's a lot of people as well who are also very knowledgeable in the history of pacific people in new zealand um but it's not told enough i mean i was reading an article about the apologies and the polynesian panthers went to um i forgot the college name in auckland maybe mangere college it started with m but um, it, but this college is a like, very high population of um, Pacific students there. The Polynesian Panthers went there ahead of the apologies to kind of give context to the apology, saying, you know, this is the dawn raids happened, this is what it meant for us, you know, we were alive at the time and we were so young and it was very traumatizing and there were quotes there that said you know I am of Pacific um, heritage and 
I really had no idea about this. Like we just don't talk about it. No one teaches us about it. So I think it's not just an opportunity for the Pacific community, but for New Zealand as a whole to kind of recognize that, yes, we are a Pacific nation. Um, we New Zealand is part of the Pacific. And there have been some things that have happened in the past that is wrong on so many levels. Like, the there are policies in place that have um brought Pacific people over to New Zealand en masse. Um and, you know, while they were here, Pacific people were treated very unfairly, um, exploited for labor, um, and then the dawn raids happened when the economy wasn't right. Um, Pacific people were used as a scapegoat um for our economic problems at the time and then the dawn raids happened and the government fully fueled that narrative and I just when I think about that my heart really hurts as someone who is of color and understands what it means to be discriminated against by a very big structure that just really hurts my heart and I don't think we talk about it enough in New Zealand. So it's not just an opportunity for um, the Pacific community. It's not just a new dawn for the Pacific community. It's a new dawn for New Zealand. Um, we have to have those conversations. We have to learn the history. Um, we need to bring to light what has been invisible for such a long time and build for a better future. We really do. Um, and that is all the thoughts that were buzzing in my head um, after reading the coverage of the Dawn Raid apology. And the other thing that I want to talk about and something that I don't really talk about this much on the show, um, I think since I have started headscarves and good yarns. Um, I really want to kind of change the co-papa to include not just talking about race, but just talking about everything that isn't spoken about enough. And any identity that doesn't fit the majority. So it can be religion, it can be race, it can be um, our sexuality, it can be our, um, you know, disabilities and all these sorts of things. And one thing that has been playing on my mind quite heavily recently is actually my body image and my weight. Um, and again, it's not something that I've spoken about on the show because it's usually we talk about race stuff on the show. Um, but I want to expand it to talk about more things. And body image is such a huge problem. And even now, like, it's it's something that we just don't think about. Like, I saw something on Shit You Should Care About the other day. And I was literally shook that this is still happening in 2021. Um, we've had such a huge... Um, conversation around body positivity and that kind of switched to body neutrality and 
even the bigger brands, however performative it may be or not, you know, even bigger brands are trying to move away from that one representation of beauty. And so for something like this to still happen in 2021, I was, you know, that emoji where it's like I lips and then the eye was <laughs> literally me um so there was a publication the national um inquire which i have actually never heard of that before now that i'm saying it out loud i'm not even too sure what country it looks like but it looks like trash like it looks like the cover of woman's weekly or woman's day where all they just talk about is rubbish Sorry, no offense if you actually buy those. But anyways, it looks like that. And they their cover story was this year's 50 best and worst beach bodies. And I'm just going to read you a sample of what was considered the worst. And oh, honestly, just a big lull to all of this. It's literally garbage. So they had Mama June. Um, she is... Uh, Oh, what show was it? Um, oh, the, like one of those children's beauty pageant shows. And she's the mother of one of the children. I think that family kind of became so famous. They have their own following now outside of the show. Um, but whew, this is what they said for Mama June. Reality wreck Mama June Shannon is 41 i'm going to there's a reason why i'm mentioning the ages 41 is a sight for sore eyes as she pushes her weight around dr gabe merkin estimated the five foot four odd ball excuse me carries an astonishing 256 pounds looks like the from not to hot star is not Okay, I didn't get that last reference, but I'm so out of touch with pop culture. Um, then they have Katie Holmes. I feel like I said that last name really strange. Katie Holmes. Um, former Dawson's Creek cutie Katie Holmes is a regular Rip Van Wrinkle. Oh, the language is disgusting. Looks like the 42-year-old ex-wife of Tom Cruise has a few things to iron out in her midsection. Blech. Um, Janice Dickinson, what an eyesore, former supermodel Janice Dickinson, 66, exposed loads of wrinkly skin. The pucket epidermis of her belly, arms and legs looks like it was plucked from a chicken. Tess Holiday, there she blows. Tess Holiday, 36, doesn't shy away from having a whale of a time at the beach, but Dr. Stuart Fisher believes the model is clocking in at 305 pounds. And then the last one is duo Kurt Russell and Goldie Horn. Binging on fine food and booze, put five foot eleven chunk Kurt Russell, 70, at 250 pounds, health experts said. He flaunted his ballooning a ballooning belly on a yacht while partner Goldie Horn, Goldie Horn, sorry, 75 paraded her flabby tummy and lumpy thighs. And I, I don't know what they considered like the best bodies were, but on the cover I see Jennifer Lopez. But what is so like disgusting about all of this is 
how, like, you can just see obviously through that writing how they've just really reinforced those toxic stereotype of what beauty can be. A, really honing in on the size, um, like, even putting specific number estimates on what people's weight will be and then trying to make it legitimate by backing it up by saying you know health experts said and doctor blah 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 said um that doesn't make it valid by saying you know health experts said this blah 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 like I think hopefully we've evolved enough to kind of understand that the number actually isn't indicative of health. Like, and I'll try to weave bits of my personal story into this as we're talking about this stupid article. So I, well, I've never really been, um, like a super thin girl. <laughs> um, no, that's, that's never really been me. But a couple of years ago, I got really sick. Um, really, really sick. So I have, um, chronic fatigue syndrome and it's really hard to explain because it's one of those health conditions where if I didn't tell you, you would have no idea that there's nothing wrong with me per se. Like if you, like people, unless you're, family or like close friends you don't know how bad it can get because when I'm sick and I'm having a bad day I just kind of yeet it <laughs> I really yeet from the, the from planet earth and I I just retreat into bed and I will stay there until I feel better um but yes a couple of years ago I got really really sick with my chronic fatigue and um one of well it kind of manifests in different ways but well sorry let me try to explain the energy thing first if your energy levels were like had to be translated into money and a hundred dollars was like very rich, <laughs> I wish, um, like maximum capacity, you know, most people can live with a hundred dollars to spend a day, but for me, I am starting the day off, depending on how good I feel, you know, I'm starting the day off with less money guaranteed, like it could be 80, it could be 60 on my really bad days, like I'm starting off with $20 when everyone else is starting off with $100 and how I choose to spend my energy that day, completely up to me, but if you have $100, you're living in abundance, you're not having to really think about you're not thinking carefully about where your money is going because you have plenty of it. Um, I just use a hundred dollars as an arbitrary number. Um, but anyways, that is what it's like living with chronic fatigue. And most of the, like recently I've been living close to $100 to be honest. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good though. Recently I did have a really bad dip <laughs> in my energy. Um, but we are feeling, we are feeling better now. Um, but a couple of years ago, yeah, I got really, really sick with my chronic fatigue and I was battling, um, you know, I was probably living on $40 a day or something back then. Um, but still was trying to live life as if I had a hundred because I just had no idea what was going on with my body. And one of the symptoms for me 
with my chronic fatigue was feeling extremely nauseous all the time um, and feeling full all the time, like very quickly as well. And I think it's just, maybe that was just because my brain was trying to trick itself to feel full because I was hardly eating anything because I felt so sick. Um, and this was pretty consistent. This had, like, I had this feeling of nausea for about a year, I would say. And so I did lose a lot of weight, um, but no one really could tell that I was sick because that's the thing with chronic fatigue. If you see someone out and about, they are completely healthy looking. It's fine. Um, but if, yeah, when I was having a bad day, I, I was just in bed. So anyways, no one really knew that I was losing all of this weight because I was sick. And so I was getting all of these compliments and it was so strange to have that many people comment on your body but anyways I was probably the lowest I had ever been in terms of like if you want to assign a number to it probably the lowest but my health was so bad like I really wasn't eating I was dehydrated all the time, malnourished because there was just no way I was getting everything that I needed with the little amount that I was. Um, I lost a lot of muscle, a lot of strength. Um, it was just, I was not healthy at all. Um, but technically that was the lowest number I had ever been. And so, no, number is not in uh, number alone is not indicative of how healthy you are. So I think it's very toxic that this, the way, the story that this garbage article is uh, highlighting is if you are a certain number, you are you know, you're ugly, you're gross, you're unhealthy, blah blah blah, which is so not true. And another number that they keep honing in on is age, um, which is just ridiculous. It's like as soon as, if you're not a young person, then you are, you, there's very much an expiry date when it comes to how beautiful one can be perceived and you know if you are a particular number if you show it that is not a great sign which I just think is so ridiculous like all of the photos I am looking at I'm like I think that is a healthy valid body like I just wouldn't think of it and be like oh you know they've let themselves go for how old they are, oh, it just makes no sense. Like, if you're not young, and if you're not a certain number, then <laughs> if you're, like, not that combo, any other combo outside of that is just not considered beautiful. And I think that is just so ridiculous. Like, there's still obviously a really long way to go when it comes to you know, fat phobia and accepting bodies in the different sizes, shapes and forms um, that they come in. I think there's a lot that we need to do. Like when I 
talk about this topic, I always think about when the reverse happens. So when celebrities who were considered um, or who were bigger when they started off their careers and then, you know, lose the weight and then, wow, all of a sudden, like, all these doors that were closed before are open to them and the way the public perceive them is so different. Like, the way people went on and on about Adele and her weight loss and Rebel Wilson as well, just, like, the reaction to their weight loss just kind of validates that we still very much live in a fat phobic society and there's just still so much more that we need to do um so, still so much more that we need to do um but the reason why that I've been thinking about this kind of stuff a lot at the moment is I'm um at that point in my health where I have damaged my metabolism or they don't like to use the word damaged metabolism, just an adapted metabolism. So because I was so nauseous all the time and just eating like next to nothing, um, really not eating that much, my body got used to eating very little and anything more than that very little amount my body would just hold on to because you know it's in survival mode and it's thinking oh gosh well I'm never going to have this again so I'm going to hold on to it in the form of fat so you know I can still stay alive and I did get to a point where I felt much better with my chronic fatigue but one of the longer lasting damages was that my metabolism has adapted and so in the past year and a half probably closer to two years now I've gained probably 15 kilos I would say 15 or 20 at the most I don't know I've gained weight (laughs) and it's crazy thinking about that fact because I was just so happy and so caught up in living life that I just didn't really notice that I had gained weight to be honest like I was just so happy and it wasn't until I'd tried to put on clothes and I'd noticed that oh gosh like I don't fit that anymore um it can barely go over my thighs now um has been a huge journey for me because I can definitely feel that rhetoric of beauty pushing down on me. And to heal my metabolism, I'm doing this process called All In. Um, and the idea behind All In is that you eat however much you want. Like there's a minimum that you have to minimum of calories that you should eat rather than a maximum and I think even after all this time it's still really hard for me to figure out what my appetite is it's still really hard for me to eat a full proper meal because I was so used to eating little for such a long time um and that also confuses people because I think (laughs) 
there have been times, well, not my close friends, but I have, um, just, in, just in case my friends are listening, they're like, oh gosh, she's ta- indirectly talking about me. No, 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 no. But I have noticed that if, when you are bigger, people expect you to eat a certain way and to eat a certain amount. And when that doesn't match up, I think people genuinely do get confused. And I have experienced that before. But, you know, you, this is why you you can't judge and you shouldn't have assumptions about people. Um, but it's actually quite hard for me to eat, like, that much food. But the idea with All In is that if you feed your body as it should, it will no longer be in the survival mode it will you're telling your body that it's safe and that it is getting all the food and nutrients that it needs and after time you have you have to be patient with your body but after time your body will go back to its natural set point um so whether that looks like weight gain or weight loss it's up to that individual but your body will go back to its set point and and so for me, that means I kind of have to get used to the fact that I actually may even gain some weight first, but before I, my body will naturally lose weight. And even then, that's another assumption. Like, I might not, and this might be my new set point. Um, and I have to get used to that. Um, but I, you know, I thought, especially having conversations with my girlfriends and being accepting of body neutrality, now that I'm facing this challenge of potentially more weight gain, I've noticed that I'm actually, I'm really not there yet. I'm really not there yet with myself and I'm really not there yet with my body. And I'm actually really struggling to be okay being bigger because we've been fed our whole lives that being bigger is not okay and we shouldn't strive for that and there's no way that you can be bigger and be healthy and happy and so that is something that I've definitely been working through as of late and but one thing that I'm definitely learning as I'm experiencing this is number is not indicative of is yeah the number or the number on the scale is not indicative of your health it's not a true holistic indicator and it's really important how you feel and what you know if you're getting the nutrients into your body and all of these other things like it is a lot more holistic than just a number on the scale like you could be very skinny and unhealthy um you know you're you yeah, I definitely experienced that. Like when I was my at the skinniest that I've ever been, that was when I was the most unhealthy. I was hardly eating and I was depriving my body of so much and I was dehydrated and malnourished. And, you know, now that I've slowly kind of gained my appetite back, like literally so happy, like I've had so much fun enjoying food again and putting together flavors and, 
I just not in my head so much about my body and how it looks or up until now that I'm like kind of confronting this potential weight gain but all in all the past year and a half two years I've just been so happy (laughs) and I have not been thinking about my body so much in that way and you know even though I'm still I'm currently struggling with potential weight gain I think I would say now I'm healthier than what I was two years ago because yes I'm eating me foods and treating myself but I'm also getting nutrition in there like I'm drinking my water I'm focusing more on my sleep and um my relationships and also the relationship that I have with myself I yeah didn't really think about that kind of stuff when I was skinnier so um I would say that even though I the BMI has shot up a lot and the number on the scale has shot up a lot. I'm a lot healthier and happier than what I was um, two years ago. And so, yeah, number is not indicative of health. It really isn't. And, And also, you don't know how you truly feel about something until you get tested and I'm definitely being tested right now because right now I'm kind of freaking out um freaking out about this potential weight gain before I get back to whatever my body's natural set point is and here I am assuming my natural set point means that I'll be skinnier but it might not like it could just be how I am now but hopefully with a little bit more muscle because I have lost a lot of muscle um the past two years but it could be just the the number that I am at now um and so kind of fighting against those two assumptions and those two fears I've realized that actually I still have a lot of work to do um when it comes to unpacking what beauty can look like in myself. Like I think I thought I was, I had unlearned everything because I would be so, I am so accepting of other people and I'm so appreciative of the different forms of beauty. Um, You know, just people are so beautiful and so many different shapes and sizes and, colors and you know how people choose to express themselves like oh god there are so many beautiful humans out there but why can't I do that for myself and if I can't do that for myself can I and it just makes me think can I truly do that for others um and because I can't do it for myself I'm like actually Amal you've actually you've got so much that you need to um unlearn and unpack and it's scary (laughs) being confronted with the fact that you're not as um accepting as you think you are and you actually still subscribe to these traditional things that were pushed on us but also I'm giving myself kindness and love in that because that is just how we were 
that's what we were, grew up with. It's what, of course, because it's an environment, what I soaked up. And it's not until something like this happens where you're actively forced to challenge it and truth for yourself, what you believe and not just pick up things, um, you know, pick up what the environment is putting down for you. Um, you know, so I'm not going to blame myself or hold myself, um, put myself in a position where I'm mean to myself for that but all it all I'm saying is that there's there's a space where I thought I was more open to and apparently I'm not and so it's just the opportunity for me to keep having those conversations and to keep learning and unlearning at the same time and I think it's something that can definitely be translated to other spaces as well um not just talking about body image but um you know talking about race things like you're not going to actively challenge what you've kind of picked up or soaked up from the environment around you until there's skin a skin in the game until you know you're being challenged and it's about meeting those challenges with an open heart and open mind and starting with yourself first like I really thought that I was um truly accepting because I did that in others but I can't do that for myself like the right now the thought of gaining weight this makes me feel all types of shameful things which I shouldn't feel I mean I should be so grateful for my body it gets me from A to B it um, does the things that I want it to, even if I don't give it enough water, even if I don't give it enough sleep, it's there for me day in, day out, and here I am shying away from it or thinking that it's not valid or not beautiful because it doesn't look like or fit what society typically tells us. And... Also, it's put me in this very vulnerable position where, and I've only just recently noticed this, where I'm kind of looking for things that seek this narrative that I've I've unconsciously been um, telling myself. Like, I'm honestly, it's also very exhausting, but I'm honestly like anything that kind of confirms this narrative of, you know, however I look like now was not beautiful and anything that confirms I the story or the narrative that having a smaller number on the scale means you're beautiful. Um, I'm looking for it and I'm taking everything at face value and I am grateful that I am aware of this and because of my awareness, I have the tools to combat it, but it's just so crazy um, how my brain is looking for the things that confirm the story, and rationality doesn't really have a huge role to play in it, I've noticed as well, and it just makes me think, you know, how many of us are kind of trapped in this headspace of feeling 
very vulnerable and kind of looking out for things that confirm that story whether we're aware of it or not like I'm sure there are lots of people who do it subconsciously as well and again this doesn't have to happen in the body image space I'm sure it happens in so many spaces when we're talking about um you know when we're talking about um, our tongue to whenua when we're talking about refugees, when we're talking about Islamophobia in the Muslim community, when we're talking about queer people, um, when we're talking about our disabled sisters and brothers, you know, the people will, are walking around with all of these stories around their head and whether it's something they believe in or not, or whether it's just something that we have been, um, told to believe um whether it's something that people are conscious of or unaware of you know how many people are out there walking around looking for this confirmation or taking or experiencing the world in a mode where things either um confirm the truth or if it doesn't align with the truth then it's clearly false and I think that's a very dangerous headspace to be at because one cannot learn or listen or form a opinion of their own by being in that headspace so you know going through what I'm going through right now with my health and my body has been has been hugely eye-opening for me and I've definitely even just talking about it out loud here and now talking about it has made me realize that actually there's a lot of this kind of stuff that happens in other spaces sorry guys I have to be very real I paused the recording because I needed to sneeze but now I've forgotten my train of thought (laughs) but notice those moments where where you're having thoughts of is this mine or something that I've always been conditioned to think um notice those moments where your beliefs are being challenged and notice where they're coming from and also like notice those toxic ass structures that perpetuate the one and only story rather than accepting the variety and the differences and kind of accepting them all as valid. Like I still cannot believe that article um, had health experts kind of back these numbers, which they didn't even know and just assumed. And also back this narrative that if you're a certain age, then you just can't be beautiful. Um, Honestly, so sickening. And, Hopefully you've gotten taken some gems away from me sharing my story and um, DMs, emails, always an open space if you ever wanted to get in touch and share like your thoughts and experiences. I think we all learn by sharing if people are willing to um, and they're brave to share. So thank you for tuning into this episode of Headscuffs and Good Yarns and catch you at the next one. Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.